windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Underbuster, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards, J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. And on this Monday morning on the Buccaneer Sports Network, it is Sandos and the sidekick Mike Gallagher here with you, Jay Sandos, along shortly. We're talking ETSU men's basketball in segment one. Another victory, number 25 on the year this past Saturday against Sanford. The Bucks winning by six. We'll also talk ETSU women's basketball in segment number two as Brittany Azell and company celebrated senior day in style, 56 to 54, and an incredible come from behind victory down 13 in the fourth quarter one in a 19 to 2 run and Jaron Doherty as time expired did not get her what would have been a game tying shot off in time to tie to 56 and go to overtime so first two segments ETSU men's and women's basketball recapping those a pair of wins then the return of crazy coach yes we've only done that maybe once or twice this season uh, the second season of Sandos and the sidekick uh, our resident crazy coach will not be with us Jay Sandos has no problem playing a crazy person, so he will do so again here today as we'll talk crazy coach with him and also in bold predictions talk about how Jay once again was unable to put me away because really at this point one bold prediction and you're good because we've got about two or three bold prediction segments left. I was able to pick up one victory, and it was probably the most difficult one, I'd say, on the week to be able to pick up, but all of that later. First, Steve Forbes, after ETSU men's basketball, defeated Sanford 80-74. to We had a hard time guarding. We ended up putting Luke on him, and the length bothered him, but he stretched us from three. He's a good player. He, he used his size over Bo, you know, to make some shots uh, early. And again, it's confidence, though. It's like Austin, the last time we played them, he couldn't get going because we were guarding him, and he, we blocked shots, and his jump shot and the same thing with Allen. He, he got confidence and I thought early in the game they really hurt us on the glass I thought they were the more aggressive team now we ended up 43-26 on the glass with 20 offensive rebounds we fixed it but I thought early in the game to give them confidence we didn't defend and we didn't rebound that Jay Sandos on Robert Allen who was absolutely piping hot in Birmingham had an absolutely monster afternoon I think he had 15 of their first 30 points and went on to have what was 25 on the day 10 of 17 from the floor three of five from deep and he was really carrying the offensive load for a bulldog team and I'll admit it I talked about it Friday and I even led my first half highlight package back in studio with sure seems like Sanford's given up on Scott Padgett and this season but you have to give him a little bit of credit they came out game for the opportunity against the Bucks. and I kind of felt bad bringing up Robert Allen's name because I think coach was kind of circling you know let's talk about Sharkey let's talk about Dupree who's been a problem for a lot of teams but I'd heard him and the staff 
talk about Allen the first time that they played. And Allen didn't have a particularly great game in Freedom Hall the first time, but you look at his skill set, and it's exactly what ETSU is going to struggle with with the lineup they got in there right now. Again, with no Drummy Rodriguez, you know, you don't have anybody who can really guard the stretch forward. And if you do, it's a guy that's going to be six foot four or smaller in Bo Hodges, Bonnie Patterson, or somebody else. And so somebody's got to guard a six eight guy, whether it's 235, 250 pounds of Dupree, or it's Robert Allen who can stretch the floor. And the the length of the six foot four guys were not stopping Allen's three point shot, which is kind of amazing. It's not what you want to talk about. And then he was able to go inside and get a couple of nice uh, hook shots, baby hook shots, go over the the right shoulder, uh, soft with the left hand, able to to get some buckets to go down. And I thought the coaching staff moving to Lucas Casson against Allen, the length started to hurt him a little bit but uh definitely Allen was the story of the game if he doesn't have the hot start and maybe get the ball rolling and I've said this before probably haven't said in the last few podcasts but you know three-point shooting I think is contagious I think the first couple go down it's amazing everyone's hit him sort of like free throws three-point shooting and free throws if people hit those early I think then everybody on the team gains confidence and goes once you see the ball go in the hole and there have been studies on that that it, you know, it tends to happen that that's the way. Now, there are shooters out there that can stink in the first half and be great in the second half, and we've seen that a lot, um, and not just on ETSU squad, but on other squads. But overall speaking, if you see some threes go down early, guys that aren't particularly great three-point shooting, that's what amazed me. Austin, not a great three-point shooter. Brandon Austin, he hits a three. Uh, coming off the bench, Tatum was like at 26%, only hit 11 threes. He hits one. Scott Pageant's son, you know, accidentally hits a three. And so I, I think all of that is because you, you saw Robert Allen get off to a quick start. And Josh Sharkey, quite honestly, has worked hard on his game to add the three-point shot. Give him credit, three for five. But Robert Allen was the story of not just the first half, but of the game because he single-handedly tried to put the Bulldogs on his back and pick up a victory. Well, and I'll say this. When he had just one basket, if I'm counting right, one basket in the last 13 minutes, it was the couple of guys you talked about. Logan Padgett, I believe you said on the broadcast, three number 11 for him on the entire season. So not only is it percentages, they're just not taking a lot of shots in general. Dante Tatum, about three minutes after Logan Padgett made his three, and I think you said it was Tatum's 14th on the year. And then just a minute after that, Jalen Dupree, their center, I think you said that was number 13. So these were absolute rarities, and pardon me, that's what made me nervous. When you see the things that these players are doing, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, I think, with ETSU women's basketball and really just time and again with um, whoever you have trying to get an upset, and and you mentioned it uh, during the game broadcast Saturday, when you see guys start to do and gals start to do in some cases – kind of uncommon um really rare unicorn type sites you know on the court you know one three every two games for each of these guys and all three hit one in about an eight minute span to keep Stanford in the ball game uh that becomes worrisome that's when upsets are made it's not necessarily the 25 point day from Robert Allen though he definitely did set the tone as you said but then it's the tertiary players stepping up and doing things that they don't usually do well yeah I again it was one of those situations where what were you going to get from Sanford? And if you looked at the last, what, four or five box scores, you're going to say, like you suspected, nobody, nobody's really going to give effort. Like, it's pretty much over. They're going through the motions. And then all of a sudden they come out and they start hitting shots. And the other thing is I think what helps confidence-wise is 
you look at all the scores at Sanford, not just in the Steve Forbes era, but since the Bucks have rejoined the league, and all those games are tight. I mean, ETSU has not been – now they've won all the games there, but ETSU has not really ran away and throttled Sanford on the road. They've had a hard time. And, again, sometimes it's gymnasiums. It, it, it's Bucks can score there. They just can't seem to stop Sanford or get a tight game where – at Furman and, and Timmons Arena, it's different. Bucks can't score. They literally cannot shoot in that building for some reason. They do not have a problem in the Pete Hanna Center, but the problem is every single year it seems like it's coming down to the last few seconds. And even this year, Bucks go up six with 14 seconds to go thanks to an offensive rebound and then able to get a big bucket. And then for whatever reason, Sharkey shoots a layup with six seconds to go, making a four point game. The Bucks get a, a layup late. But that wasn't like ETSU was up 16 and Sanford scored the last 10 to make it a little more respectable. I mean, this was another game that ETSU had to fight to pick up a win against Sanford on the road. And I don't know what it is about the Bulldogs and the Bucks in that building because ETSU has had great success in the tournament, sort of running away with it. They've had some home games they've ran away with it. The only win for Sanford was a Marcus Johnson three, I think the first year back in the league. Uh, and that's the only time in the history of Sanford that they've beaten ETSU. But, I mean, give credit to Sanford. They were doing what they were supposed to do. I thought ETSU didn't get a lot of 50-50 balls early, but late in the game they got all those. I thought that was the difference maker. The offensive rebounds, 20 offensive rebounds, clearly a difference in the game. The 15 rebounds for Lucas Gasson, certainly a big number. Career-high eight rebounds for Trey Boyd. I think Coach said jokingly in the postgame that, Trey probably didn't have eight rebounds all of last year. So, playing winning basketball. When you see Tisdale going to the glass, getting four offensive rebounds out of his seven, you look at Boyd getting eight rebounds. Last game, you look at Patrick Good with six boards. Uh, to me, that's championship-winning basketball. Guys are understanding what they need to do to get the win. And hustle plays. We saw Trey Boyd dive on the floor, get the ball, call a timeout. Uh, in the in the game before this one, then we saw this game where ETSU was able to get a big play um, out of Lucas Gasson diving on the floor, kicks it out. We saw in each of the last two or three games, Isaiah Tisdale get a three. I'm sorry, not a three. Get an offensive rebound and kick it out, and the Bucks be able to score off of it. More times than not, it's been a three, but he's been able to get a rebound, and kick it back out. Those are all things that when everybody's doing that, it makes ETSU tough to beat, and that's what's right now giving him the top of the league standing. One of those offensive rebounds you talked about, Isaiah Tisdale, 25 seconds left after Trey Boyd misses a three. The Bucks really weren't able to put this one away until just a few seconds later off the offensive rebound. Trey Boyd did so and hit a three at 14 seconds to go. 78-72 to 72 was the score then. And essentially, uh, after Jalen Dupree did have a dunk with six seconds left, it was still a four-point game. Game was pretty much over, and ETSU needed all those rebounds you talked about, 43-26 to 26 plus 17 to offset a 12-20 of 20 effort from Sanford from outside and Josh Sharkey's big 20-point, 9-assist, and 5-rebound effort. Here's more from Coach Forbes. He's got that innate uh, sense to go get the ball. He's really good at that. And I've only coached a couple point guards like that in my career that could you could really just say, listen, usually you tell your point guard to get back, right? Man, that cat, he's tough on that glass. He wants to win so bad, it's crazy. He's the blood and guts of our team, and he makes game-winning plays. And you know, you got a tough call late in the game on a block charge call, and the referee even told me, he said, I, I missed that one. And you got to take that and move on. But he's so strong on the glass, it's crazy. 
That's on Isaiah Tisdale from Coach Forbes, and I think it's about the highest compliment you're going to receive from certainly a good coach, any coach, though. You're the blood and guts of the team. You go and get the ball. You make the hustle plays. You dive on the floor, do what you have to do. And as we just talked about, when you see that late on in the game, it affecting the contest. And <laughs> this is probably – uh, four or five times now, it seems like Isaiah Tisdale in a play down the stretch, whether it be defensive on the glass, he has essentially won a game for ETSU. Now, of course, Trey Boyd had to make the shot, but that shot not possible without Tisdale getting that late offensive rebound. Yeah, and, and again, I think Coach said it right. The heart and soul of the team, I think, is Tisdale. I think people kind of kind of go and do as he does, and he plays so hard. You see him play so hard, it's hard not to try to match that energy, especially when you see him go up and get the rebounds. But there were several kind of plays, I thought, that could have been the play of the game. And obviously that one was huge because it gave ETSU a chance to run another 20 seconds or so off the clock or 15 seconds off the clock, and they were able to get a bucket out of it that did effectively put the game away. But it's just so fun to watch Tisdale play because, you know, it's one of those like you if you're not a basketball fan – like a legitimate fan, I don't think you understand everything that he does. I think the fans that really love basketball and watch basketball a lot, or at least have watched CTSU basketball a lot, I think they they see all the things he does to get the team to get a win. It's not flashy. Yes, he can have games where he scores the ball, like at Western Carolina. He hit all those shots, had a career day. Um, yes, he can take big charges at the end of the game. Yes, he can strip a ball away from Storm Murphy to seal a win against Wofford. Yes, he can get offensive rebounds to go. And you look at all those things, and it's just the the fight that he has in him to keep it going. And he will might be one of the most missed guys next year that it'll take a while for p- people to figure out what's missing from the squad. And because he they don't really have – ETSU right now doesn't really have a Tisdale-type player – Williamson, even though he plays the same position or on the floor a lot, different guy, right? I mean, he's he's not as strong defensively, but my goodness, getting to the rim amongst the trees and all kinds of things. Pat Good, sort of another de facto point guard, but, you know, he's the shooter. He could play defense, not to the level that Tisdale is. He's just not big and strong like that. You know, will they bring in a couple of guys that can do that right now? They just got, I think, Paul Smith's only one signed on for next year. But he's a he's a power forward. You've got Ladarius Brewer sitting out, but he, he's not going to be a Tisdale-type player. He's probably going to be a hybrid between Cromer and Boyd, I would say. He doesn't quite shoot as well as Boyd. He can definitely get to the rim and score the basketball talented like Cromer. We'll see if he has sort of that killer instinct like Cromer. I think that's the one thing TJ had going for him. So uh, they don't have a guy right now, I guess my point is, that is an Isaiah Tisdale kind of waiting in the wings. Now, you do get Bo Hodges back a year. You do get a couple other guys back for a year. But I think off anybody off this squad, and no disrespect to any senior that's graduating, I think he'll be the toughest to replace because Brewer can score. I think that'll replace Boyd. You know, Charlie Weber is going to mature a little bit. He's going to be able to go. I mean, you just didn't have Jeremy Rodriguez for the whole year, so it's hard to justify that. Lucas Cassant's kind of coming to his own, but it's really only been the last 13 games. So, to me, the toughest guy, uh, you know, and Joe's been a nice role player. Hughley, I don't want to forget him, but I think Tezzo's going to be the toughest to replace. 12 of the last 13 games for Lucas Goussaint in double figures. I think it's just the way the team is made up. Tisdale's so important because you do have a Trey Boyd who going into last game was seven of his last 23 from the field, but you see the way Isaiah Tisdale plays. He's averaging nine points per game. He's only taken double-digit shots twice 
the entire year. And so his efficiency, and you see it in the box score from Saturday, nine points on four or five from the field, seven rebounds and four assists. I mean, that's doing a ton without the ball in your hands a lot. And it's those type of players that I think do separate between and also ran and a team that ran all the way to the top of the mountain and took the title. Here's one more from Coach Forbes. I believe in our kids. I love coaching them. I've loved coaching them since, you know, the beginning. Um, I believe in them. And they got to believe in themselves, and they do. And they don't need me yelling at them during the game about missing shots. And I believe in that. I think you, you hold them accountable defensively and you let them play offensively. They made some big shots. And I'll tell you a funny little antidote to that. I think Trey might have missed a shot, and Coach Mackey yelled to – for Pat to go in, and I said, no, not now. Came right back down, Trey banged at three, and I looked at him, I said, that's why I get paid the big dollars. Got a good chuckle on the bench over that. So I'll break that down further for you because I not only asked a question, I saw it exactly happen. It was when Trey Boyd went to the rim, missed a shot, got his own offensive rebound, got the shot blocked, got a rebound, tried to put it up. The third time, honestly, looked like he, he got fouled. There was no call. Ball got swatted away, and Boyd runs down – to the other floor, as he's running down, you could see B.J. Mackey beckon Pat Good, and he yells for Pat. Pat gets up, and you could see Trey kind of turn around to the bench and kind of, kind of like wipe it off with his hand and shake his head. You could tell, like he, all right, he's upset. And honestly, I didn't think any of the decisions Trey made during that juncture went aggressive to the hoop. He had three chances at it, two offensive rebounds. I mean. I, you know, he does – he's not a – it's not that he can't jump, but he's just not an explosive leaper, right? So, Coach Forbes, I saw Pat go back to the bench, and I saw Coach say something to Trey, point to an area. The Bucks gave the ball to Trey in that area, and he knocks down the three. He did something similar to Pat Good earlier in the game where Pat passed up a shot. Pat came out of the game. Coach put his arm around his waist and pointed to the exact spot that he didn't take the shot, and you could tell he's sort of saying, like, that. that take the shot. Like, that's – what we need you to do and then pat comes out and knocks out two shots and then i kind of made a joke about coach forbes being the master psychologist but i think that was interesting to see sort of how coach played that because i think a lot of guys you know can get mad at a player take him out well what does that do for trey boyd that's why i think it was so genius that it worked out he left him in now maybe if trey shoots a three and air balls you're like all right we gave you next shot much take a break you know a couple minutes we'll get you back in there but I thought it was interesting to see how Coach managed that and, and, to Trey's credit, respond positively there. So he went from a negative response to, hey, I got confidence in you, knocked this shot down, and, and it changed the whole momentum for Trey Boyd. To me, it's only a half-joking joke by you about playing psychologist and knowing his team and living kind of inside the heads of his guys, knowing what works. I think as a coach, a lot of times you do have to be that. And the fact that he, in that moment, knew – that he needed to give his guy a little bit extra leash, not overreact, not uh, just pull him right away and kill what could be for a guy like Trey Boyd, momentum next time down the floor, an instant offense next time down the floor. I, I think that's where you really separate the great coaches from the good coaches is when you see a guy like Steve Forbes know that about his team, trust his guys, give him a little bit of extra leash. Now, you do have to know when there's guys that you do that, it, it can really self-destruct. And it's a fine line, obviously. We've seen that uh, between um, different coaches, you know, around college basketball. And when Coach Forbes is making decisions like he is like that, I mean, he's locked in coaching, right? And the guys on the floor, I think, play with more confidence when they know that if they make one mistake, it's not the end of their time on the floor. And they won't have to go and sit about it for three or four minutes and think about what they did and, like, almost go on timeout. 
quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like it, that to me isn't productive. It's not helpful for their maturation. It's not helpful for um, you know the Bucks to go and build momentum that they need to to go to the Southern Conference tournament, take it, and go on to the NCAA tournament and, and make some noise there. So one of my favorite bites of the year, not only because of the anecdote, which is fantastic, but just because you can get a little bit of a view inside of how Coach Forbes deals with a balanced team like ETSU is there's no number one top guy to go to and say all right I know that I can leave this guy out here all these other guys eh, I'm not sure it's such a delicate process balancing and it helps when all the guys are non are, are unselfish like these guys seem to be uh, it, it makes it a lot easier I think when everyone's in it for the right reasons and, and seem to all want to win and get a title and that's their common goal but it can't be easy as a head coach to know how far is too far when it comes to leaving a guy on the court and when you have to be able to give a guy a little bit of extra leash versus pulling him. Well, and I, I think the other thing is, is is Coach Forbes does let his guys coach, and I've seen other coaches that don't, and I've seen B.J. Mackey pull a guy. Let's say Bo Hodges was on fire, and, and a matter of fact, I think the Furman game at Furman was a good example. Bo had started to play pretty good basketball, was trying to help the Bucks kind of pull back into it, and – Coach Mackey does all most of the substitutions, if, if at least the guards, and he may do some of the posts as well, but at least the guards. And he sent somebody in to spell Bo because he was going to get him an extra 30, 40 seconds before media timeout. So you get a little extra breather, put him back in. And I remember Coach Forbes turning and yelling at BJ, like, what are, what are you doing? We can't take him out. And BJ's like, he's tired. He's like, I don't care. He's not tired. And, and BJ's like, Coach, he needs a breather. And Coach Forbes like, okay. And he turned around and walked off, and, and, and Bo got a breather. So I've seen – where coach you know has you know let his guy i think it's a gut feeling like do you know your players well enough trey boyd's a little more emotional than bo hodges you know and to be honest there is some psychology in and um oh gosh it was bobby valentine of the mets i remember he said this one time like if a guy's in a slump he never took him out of the lineup he's like i never took out of the lineup if he's slumping if he's over 23 most people are like well let's give him a day off clear his head i'm like no he stays in the game if a guy's got five, six games, you know, or maybe, you know, five, six game hit streak, or, you know, if he's hit 440 over the last five games, I give him a breather because he knows, you know what? It's not because I'm playing bad. You know, it's just a time to get, get another guy in the lineup. I think Coach Forbes a little bit there. You know, he knows his guy, Trey Boyd, maybe a little down on himself because he sees him coming out thinking he did something wrong or made a mistake, in which I don't think he did. It just didn't work out. And then he comes down and hits a shot where, you know, Bo Hodges maybe not as emotional like that. So he steps and goes. So I think it's brilliant by how he manages his squad and what he's doing. And I think a gut feeling is very important. So, all right, we got uh, sidetracked a little bit on psychologist Steve Forbes. By the way, Steve Forbes has informed me that uh, uh, on one of our last podcasts, he has been keeping up with a running tally of all the things we've gotten wrong. Ooh. So he's going to do like a stat guy deal. Oh, I can't like, wait. And uh, wants to uh, join the program to tell us everything we've gotten wrong. He's always welcome. So we'll have that uh, sometime at the end of the season once everything, I guess, the dust settles. All right, we'll talk women's basketball for this time out. San Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
Sanderson is on kickback with you. ETSU Women's Basketball and Senior Day, although I don't think it's senior or senior yet, did they? They haven't all here, really. Jada and Ariel. Yeah. All right. Menage and Tasia did suit up. That was kind of cool. They've missed the whole year off-season hip surgery. And two, two injuries. for Najee, yeah. So that was kind of nice. Oh, and unfortunately, I guess I'll say that, and poor Jada's just been in and out. Harvey, too, right? She's missed uh, time this year as Ankle, well. Ankle, yeah. Matter of fact, they just played, uh, what did they play? See, Harvey, two points, nine minutes. Jada, 12 minutes of action. Just been a rough go around. But you know what the best way you can do for your seniors? Get yourself a W. Dub. And let's do it with a nine point comeback in the fourth quarter correct uh i think it was 13 836 mm-hmm. to go down 13 and a 19 to 2 run ensuing from there and to me it just looked shania went crazy right uh it was actually more amaya and gabby and mm-hmm. that was the fantastic part to see is that when some of your stars and you look at the box score it's easy to see you know micah sheets hasn't been the most efficient scorer in the conference season so 5 of 13 for 15 points still not a bad day necessarily uh, but Kaya Upton, two points on 107 from the floor. Elise Stafford, surprising to see her. She's been so consistent in conference play. One of nine. Yeah, that was three And she was like 0 for first seven, I think. Yeah, and so you're going to need others to step up. And Amaya Adams' career high, 13 points. And she's someone that has taken a bit more threes lately. Now, she had taken, I think, two in her first year and a half. Two in her first year and a half. So it's, it's not a lot. It's not tough to get past that number. But she has been more aggressive from beyond the arc, and she made it pay off once again in the fourth quarter. Bucks making that charge and makes the three, goes four or five from the field. We talked about efficient play. Isaiah Tisdale going four or five. Four or five for 13 points for Amaya Adams. And Shania Jackson did have a, a big day. But, yeah, it was good to see some of those other players when Stafford and Upton were struggling take the reins and, and be aggressive. I mean, you look at the run that they made, and it's, you know, Micah Sheets, you know, at, with 7.50 to go, then it's Elise Stafford, and then it's Adams, and then it's Adams again, and then it's Adams again, and then you did have Shania mix in, and then it's more Adams. So really the big fourth quarter star was Amaya Adams to pull the Bucks from behind. And to me, this looked a lot like almost every other conference game, it seems like, for the Bucks early in the fourth quarter, where you come out in the second half, you know, you're down 10. And you make a little bit of a charge to make it seven with 94 seconds to go. And then instead of being able to carry that momentum over to the fourth quarter, Mercer gets a deuce back and you're down nine. And then all of a sudden the first two baskets in the fourth quarter are for the Bears. And it's a 13-point game. And you're looking up the scoreboard, time left, considering the recent results in this conference season that the Bucks have had. You're just scratching your head and saying, why can't we get this done? Why can't we get over this hump of late third quarter, early fourth? We just can't seem to figure it out. But that's where you have to give Amaya Adams and Shania Jackson and all the players on the floor so much credit, and that's what Coach Zell and Coach Ashley Houts, who had the scout for the game, who ETSU now 7-3 and three under Houts when she's doing the scout, which is pretty impressive. But they all said just the players really banded together, and I don't know if it was for the seniors. I don't know if they just are tired of seeing things go same old, same old, but they found a way, which is something they haven't been able to do a lot this year. I think if you were to – well – like the men's game, as I was reading down the stat sheet, and I almost said it out loud three times before it sunk in that Trey Boyd had eight rebounds. Gabby, ten, ten boards, and that was the thing. Like, I kept looking at that. I'm like, am I reading the wrong? Like, I'm thinking maybe Adams or, or something. Like, I'm just reading the wrong line. I was not. Gabby Brown, ten rebounds. Talking about things that, that maybe show up on the stat sheet but don't tell the story, but Gabby Brown getting ten rebounds, what that meant, I think. <laughs> And no offense to Shania Jackson, who had a monster game at 18 and 15, but every one of those 10 rebounds is something that you made. You know, you count on one or two, right? That's about what you expect from Gabby Brown. But the 10 boards, to me, 
it's one of those things that is a game-winning, game-changing stat because it's just something you're not expecting, but yet things like that are what win you basketball games. Our friend Bruce Trambarger said on the broadcast on the ESPN Family Networks that it's not necessarily going to get the most attention, but she was the difference in the game going in and getting those rebounds. And you look as ETSU is coming from behind, and the three from Amaya Adams that cut it to a two-point game, who assisted on that? Gabby Brown. And then who went down to the other end, got a defensive rebound, made an outlet pass, and Shania Jackson on the fast break on the other end gets the layup to tie it. And then another rebound by Brown. And you look at, you know, late on, a steal, a 240 to go. I mean, she was doing a lot. And it's never a question of effort. It's never a question of energy. She sometimes runs around like a chicken with her head cut off. (laughs) I mean, she is all over the place constantly, and you can even see it in practice and shoot around. She's just tremendously conditioned. You know, obviously there's going to be times where uh, your basketball team is going to have to run, right? Do some killers up and down the line or just one time down, one time back. And Gabby Brown, always the first off the blocks and always the first back, and it's by a significant margin. Her motor never stops. And I know that she's a junior, and I know she hasn't had the the greatest season in terms of offensively shooting the basketball. In fact, it's been uh, quite a tough one for her, and you can just look at the stats and see that. But the fact that on senior day so late in the season with really a lot on the line for the Bucs, I mean, they're, yes, fighting for the six or seven. The seed isn't exactly what you want, but you're also fighting to build momentum and try to go into Chattanooga and pull that upset and go in with, um, you know, your head's held high into the SoCon tournament where you really, as we've talked about, never know with this league going into the postseason to see her kind of epitomize what ETSU has been that never say die um, you know don't have a lot of bodies necessarily don't always have uh, the numbers that you need <clears throat> but at this point in the season never say die and continue to go um, and, and do what you need to do uh, really did epitomize I think the heart that ETSU shown this year the other, it does and the other thing it solidifies seating purposes too they're not locked in yet but they do have the tiebreaker, and if you can get a six seed over a seven seed, right, playing a three instead of a two, obviously the higher seed you go, the better you go, but they've now locked into a tiebreaker, so depending on what happens Thursday with Mercer, ETSU may know one way or another because if Mercer is to lose Thursday, then ETSU will be locked into the six seed. Now, ETSU can just take care of that. To me, again, it's whichever team gets hottest going in the tournament. And I think seven teams. I thought six earlier this year. I could go with seven. I've seen Mercer up close and personal when they were playing at one of their best uh, games and beating a Furman Paladin team right in front of me that's a fairly decent squad, I would say. So I I think, really, this is the most wide-open tournament in America. I've said it several times. But I I think ETSU, if they could – beat Chad at Chad for number one because it's your rival, number two because obviously a triple overtime and ETSU had at least twice it looked like the game-winning shot was going to go down and did not go down. The amazing thing for Mercer, I don't know that I've seen two players on a squad get 20 or more shots in a game. I was That was the other thing I was asking Kevin uh, Brown or, or men's basketball SID when we were sitting there right at the end. I think it was during a media timeout and we were kind of recapping the women's win. And, I, and that's what he brought up. He was like, do you remember two players ever getting 20? I said, I do not uh, remember two players getting 41 of the 59 shots. To me, that's, I, I don't even know how you compete that way. Got to turn my mic on. There we go. That's oh, there we go. how they're built. And it's Amori and Neil Tyser, Shannon Titus, it's Jaron Doherty, and we talked about it on the show Friday. Those were the three. I mean, they scored 62 of the 66 points against DTSU the first time around. And if you include Neil Tyser, 49 of the 59 shots for Mercer were from those three. They only made 15 of them. 
Look at the rest of the team. They were five for ten. So what was one of our keys when we talked about it on Friday? Yeah. It was taking away either one or two of the three. And really, if you look efficiency-wise, the Bucks took away all three. I mean, Neil Tyser is two of eight from the field. Titus six of twenty. Doherty seven of twenty-one. That is putrid for your three best players. And knowing they don't have a lot of options outside of that. Now you say percentage-wise, everyone else is five of ten, and <laughs> that greatly surpasses what those three were able to do. But Considering their lack of depth, they only have 10 bodies now. Jordan McLaughlin left the team early on. Tia Benvenuti over the last couple of weeks also either left the team, was dismissed, something along those lines. She's no longer on the squad either. When you have three players that are going to get up 80 90% of your shots, you live and die with them, and they died with them on Saturday. What a throwback Coach Gardner is. 0 of 3 from 3. It's like 5 of 6 games, right? 5 they, of the last 9. They have not hit a 3. That's incredible to me. What, what a, Unbelievable. I mean, considering... Men's basketball is 1,030 consecutive yes. games. I mean, but just not even attempt them. It's one thing to not hit them. It's another thing when you're averaging like five threes a game. Like it's just every one of the analytics, they're just scoffing at and going, you know what, we're just, we're just trying to get to the rim. We're taking two-point jumpers. We've got no three-point shooters. It's just a throwback sort of scenario for, for Susie Gardner. I'll give you the last, let's say since the Sanford game when they made six threes. They were six of 13. 2 of 10 against DTSU, 0 of 5 Chattanooga, 3 of 10 UNCG, 0 of 11 Western, 0 of 5 Wofford, 1 of 2 against Furman, 3 of 6 against Stanford, 0 of 2 against Chattanooga, 0 of 3 against DTSU. <laughs> like you said, they're just not taking it. I just, again, it's, it's one of those things where I'd like to, I don't have enough time, but I'd love to go back and see who else is doing that. Who else is taking an average of, in those games you just mentioned, they're averaging probably six threes a game because of a couple of outliers there, about 10 or 11. It's amazing to me that that, and again, that it's kind of scoffed everything, but they had picked up some wins during that stretch. It wasn't like they're winless during the stretch. So clearly Susie Gardner's won a lot of games in her career, and she knows her team better than I would. It's just amazing when you don't even have a threat from out there, how much difficult it is for Mercer to score. And it just amazing. I just... Uh, you know, not that the Bucks shoot at a heck of a lot either. It's not like the Bucks are averaging 20, 25 threes a game. But, I mean, if you shoot 10, 12, 15 of them, at least you get a little bit of, um, or I would assume you at least open up the floor somewhat for your players that, that can play inside. But either way, that was amazing to me. Uh, not just that they didn't hit a three in this one, but the fact you look at the last several games – that they've not been able to knock down a three. So I'll just tell you this. I'm on the NCAA uh, stat site right now, and I can probably figure this out during the break, but I'm down to number 150 in the country, Kansas, in terms of three-pointers attempted. They've attempted 510. Mercer's attempted 362. I would have started at 353. Well, I tried to, but it's only 50 per page. Ah, So, you know. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough, yes. You said you didn't have time to do something. I did it in about 45 seconds, but yeah, you're right. I'm not smart enough. Okay. Yeah, good work. You still haven't found out, though, have you? Uh, no, but I got 30 seconds. See, there you go. Break. There you go. All right, we're back. Uh, 30 seconds. We'll see if you figure it out. Crazy Coach, right? Yes. Or Crazy J. Well. Doesn't matter. Either one, way, it's one after the this. Same. On the Buccaneer. Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. 
I got 22 excuses. 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. A red zone defense is like Oprah. Like, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. We tried to recruit bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. I got a bunch of mama's boys right now, and uh, we just won't buck up and bow our necks, and we gotta get through that. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Hello? You play to win the game. I just hope we can win a game. Well, we didn't block him, but we made up for it by not tackling. Ben Wallace and Mo Williams fell down more than a baby learning to walk. Crazy Coach. Love Crazy Coach. Am I playing the part of Crazy Coach? You are playing the part of Crazy okay. Coach. We do not have resident Crazy Coach. I don't know where he's on he a is. Plane. He's actually on a plane right he's now. He's on a plane. Know, oh, you have, you have contact I do know, I do with know resident Crazy he's Coach. On a, he's on a plane. He, t- he, was, he sent me uh, a text message about what was in some airport in Kansas or Pennsylvania at 545 this morning. Wow. I did not respond until 615. So but he's got bigger fish to fry. Evidently, better he business just wants to bother to me at five forty-five. Very good. Well, naturally. Uh, first, crazy coach bite in. I think what is just the second installment of crazy coach this year. You know, we calmed down a little bit. I'm proud of our group. We gave ourselves a chance. Disappointing though. You know, we couldn't. We had chances there at the end. Um, Turner get fouled on that last one. And that steal. He get fouled on that. How about the walk on Fluger at half court? Sometimes we're treated we're treated by the officials like we haven't brought football as a full member, but yet we get a full share of the ACC <laughs> network TV. Are you kidding me? He tees up our bench from across the court because he's pissed off at us. I'm frustrated, man. And I tip it to Captain Florida State. They make great plays. I love Leonard. He's a good friend, and they're a great team. You gotta be kidding me, man. Come on, man. We're in the league too. We're in the league, too, now. Come on. Come on, John Gaffney. God. Congratulations, Florida State. You're fearless. Great team. They can win it. That's uh, Mike Bray. Yes, it is Mike Bray. Notre Dame men's was basketball. Was that a walk-off too at the end? I, yes. didn't, I didn't see He literally that. walked from the stage and was still yelling on his way out I, the door. That's what it sounded like because yep. he got a front away for the mic. I have not uh, I've not heard or seen that, so I'm glad you played. The, the actual name drop of the official, yes. that's got to be a huge It didn't find. seem like he was going to go there and then that's a huge, I don't know if he was just fight. out of material or something but then he dropped it as he was walking by all the microphones come on John Gaffney and that was after an 85-84 loss against Florida Let, State actually late last month can we just go over oh there's a lot to unpack there the yes we're not a full member in football but we get the full shit. I don't know what the contract like, looks like but I, the I, fact I, he's bringing in other sports and such uh, he's been thinking about this for a while well I mean because you know they pretty much play in every other sport but football and they got their own TV deal so I don't know if he's basically saying it's not my fault or any other sports fault that football isn't a full member but we are a full member in basketball so could we be treated like one I would love to see overall 
And there's no, again, I don't know, you're, you're fast on the, can you click and see how many fouls Notre Dame's been called in league games? No, seeing how many challenges. Fouls in league games, can, yeah, sure. Fouls in league games compared to yeah. their opponents. Let's, let's go to conference-only stats there as you're, okay. you're surfing the, uh, the interwebs or whatever it's PDF called. I here. I yeah. don't know if so, I uh, yeah. can yeah. figure that out necessarily yeah. quick yeah. enough. Did you ever find out the other uh, answer? Uh, 342nd in the 353 yeah. teams in made at three-point field goals. For the Not necessarily attempted, but made. They only rank the top 150 in attempted for whatever reason, which is very confusing. So I would be interested to see to see if there, there's <laughs> a little this. merit. I'll yeah. say this: they've been called for 85 less fouls the entire year. It's not just conference play, but less fouls the entire year than their opponents. See that? That's why I think. Okay, so it seems like Mike Bray has probably lost a couple of tight games as of late, and the excuse is, "Well, the referees are cheating us. They're not treating me fair because I am somehow not a full member." of the league my response to that is though they've been knocking on the top 25 a couple different times this year now they're not and they probably won't be after the last few weeks uh may not be a tournament team over the last few weeks actually i know they won't be for the last few weeks but i i don't i don't under the the rant seems to be that's something that built up over top that wasn't just a he lost to florida state and woke up and said yeah all right we're getting screwed well to your point I'll give you the like month that they had that month because it was very gruesome in terms of the amount of. I mean, they beat Carolina buzzer such. beater, and that's about it, right? So against Indiana on December twenty first. Now keep in mind this is non conference. It was at the Crossroads Classic, but lost sixty two to sixty. Then you get into league play. North Carolina State seventy three to sixty eight. Louisville sixty seven to sixty four. Then just eleven days later, Syracuse eighty four to eighty two, and then Florida State eighty five to eighty four. So that's all these four losses in the span of 17 yeah. days that were, let's see, 8, 9, 11 combined points. Yeah, and then what's their record overall? Uh, right now they are 8-8 eight and eight in the league, 17-10 and 10 overall. So you flip those four games, right, and they're 21-6. and six. And they're a, a for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're for sure. So right for now sure. they're, you know, they're – Come for the as a, Now they could still get back in it because they could get on a roll and, you know, they play an ACC so everybody just forgives everything, but – as of right now, a little bit of issue, but yeah, no, I, that's a that's a solid crazy coach moment for Bray to bring up that football somehow is hosing him because they won't be a full league member. I enjoyed that one. Uh, we have two more, and mm-hmm. I'm only able to find this one right now, but uh, I'll go ahead and loft it to you anyway. Kings coach Luke Walton. I completely forgot he went to the Kings. By the mm-hmm. way, completely forgot. After picking up a technical in the third quarter, this was uh, just a little under two weeks ago, called over to Luka Doncic, one of my favorite players in the NBA, very fun to watch, and says, hey, Luka, do me a favor. Give, me, give him your autograph, pointing at the official. He's a fan. He's a fan of yours. <laughs> Luke Walton getting very creative with the absolutely terrible Sacramento Kings, as they always are, in the garbage talking to the official. That's my only criteria. If you're going to get a technical, let's be creative. You know, anybody could just run out on the floor and use some four-letter words, right? I mean, let's be creative. Let's insult the referee to where at least at some point it's a good play you, right? It's It's got a little bit uh, – because to me, it means it means more if you take a shot like that as opposed to just, you know, an, uh, an F-bomb – that you're killing me or something like or whatever or blow your what blankety whistle or something like right, come on you got to be better than that like you got to be and it always seems to be the technical that is called isn't generally the one you deserve it's just sort of the last straw they've just had enough but that one to me i love because it's creative and if i was a coach pick up a technical i would come up with more create 
creative ways to get a technical foul. So that was from Sean Cunningham, sports producer at ABC 10 in Sacramento, and it's on Twitter. My favorite thing about all of these things that you come across on Twitter is the comment section. Mm-hmm. Uh, the random Everyday Joe or Burner account or whatever you think is jumping in, uh, and they kind of hit, I think, part of what the – and this is maybe why Luke has time to think about how he's going to go after the referees because they have been so bad. He just wants to deflect everything from how terrible the team is. But uh, Jan at JS underscore Janku down 20 playing like, and I'll paraphrase trash and complaining about referees, LOL. Then you go down uh, to Steelmatic at Steelmatic. The best bleep I've seen out of Walton all year. Then another one. Rare W, Luke. Very rare. So always <laughs> good to see the, uh, the everyday Joe hopping in on Luke Walton when, unfortunately for him, uh, things are not going, I think, how he planned. Though you had to know what you were getting into when you took that Sacramento job. Uh, Kevin Ollie's attorney went to Dan Hurley's house Saturday to serve him a subpoena. I'm not sure if this is now, I believe, former. Uh, I don't think Kevin Alley's coaching anywhere, is he? Because he was he dismissed, was it last well, summer or yeah, two summers uh, ago? Two summers with UConn, right. And UConn releasing this statement on the matter, the sever from Ali and his UConn uh, days, now a bitter divorce, as almost any I can recall, says Matt Norlander. Uh, Matt Norlander, familiar uh, name across college basketball, senior writer, CBS Sports. Uh, as bitter as any he can recall from uh, from what his time in college basketball says. Alumnus turned coach and then uh, the alma mater, of course, of, of Kevin Alley. And they won a title during that National time? championship, Kevin Alley. He was a seven seed. Has that yeah. been stripped? No. No, it hasn't has been not. Anyway, he was dismissed for a number of recruiting violations and practice time, things like that. And the University of Connecticut today issued a statement, and this was, I believe, just yesterday in response to reports that Dan Hurley received a subpoena from attorneys representing Kevin Ollie, which, by the way, is a little bit confusing to me that you're subpoenaing the next coach. Does it say what subpoena is for? Well, I'll just read the statement. That Coach Hurley was served with a subpoena at his home yesterday is disappointing. The day before the subpoena was served, UConn's attorney agreed, at the request of Ollie's legal team, to accept service of any subpoenas on behalf of UConn for Ollie's attorney to then serve Coach Hurley at his home the following day, a fact that news media was apparently quickly alerted to. Bitterness there was contrary to the discussions between the parties. This action was unnecessary and surprising to Coach Hurley, who has nothing to do with this case. That, that's what I'm amazed by. It is, I don't know if they're subpoenaing, subpoenaing him to talk about his practice time. Confusing. Recruiting, like like interactions with his bosses, which why would Dan Hurley say anything about the management that hired him? I don't know. Kevin Ollie is grasping at some straws and trying to pull on the heartstrings i think of folks the problem is i've not seen any coach yet get dismissed from their own school for (laughs) violations that ever got sympathy ever now i've seen the ncaa come in and slap some stuff on people and people rally around a coach i've never seen a university get rid of their own guy who was a alum who did win them a national championship so i don't i kevin ollie should go away that if i could talk to Kevin right now, and I'm sure he wants money. That's what it is, because they dismissed him with cause, so they didn't pay a lot. And I'm sure this all comes down to you owe me some money, or somehow he thinks he's been wronged. But trying to do that is only trying to drum up some sympathy, I think, that no one is going to give him. I do wonder how much of this has to do with, like, his whole life is like UConn, right? I mean, his best mm. times have been UConn. You look at his NBA career, and he was in the league for like 15, 16 years, but over a full season never averaged more than six points per game, only played more than 53 games in a season twice. So I do wonder 
how much of it is him just trying to save any vestige of positivity he has from a very large point of his life, really his entire athletic career in terms of the high points and just doing anything he can. But I agree, it's starting to look a little bit sad. A little bit pathetic. Nobody's on your side, Kevin. Nobody's really on Kevin's side. Uh, Ollie's legal team continues to do whatever it can to deflect from the facts. Many uncontested that led to his termination. Coach Hurley was hired after Ollie was terminated. Had nothing to do with Ollie's separation from the program or the numerous NCAA violations that led to it. In the weeks ahead, UConn looks to forward to the opportunity to bring Ollie to an end, the Ollie matter to an end after months and months of building. And and all you're doing, Ollie, is making sure that nobody else is going to hire you. That that is all you've done. We've seen people do horrific things, get some NCAA penalties, and come back, right? I mean, I'm still not convinced that Daddy Patino, old Rick Sr., isn't going to come back at some point from Greece and get a job. So, And he's got about as big a penalty as anybody else. So I I am not convinced that Kevin Ollie wouldn't have gotten a shot if he would have just laid low, got somebody to give him a chance, him try to explain his way out of it. Most people would give you the benefit of the doubt. Now you're taking all the benefit away. I did like the audio from Bray. I think I like that one that most of these three simply because the Ollie situation, I'm more just like, yikes. You just get out of your own way. Yow. You cannot get out of your own way. All right, well, steps out for timeout. Bold prediction recap after this on Santa Sidekick Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. All right, Bo, prediction recap, go. I am very, very happy that this time of the week is here again. First, let's get to the bad parts, though, before my success and triumph over Jay Sandoz, at least in this week's bold predictions, which will only put me behind by two. You had in the midweek that Furman would lose TTSU by 15 or more. Remember, that was a nine-point game, 75-66. to 66. Eh, Had some chances, but that was 0-for-1 on the week. You also said Wofford would hit 15 or more threes. Yeah, they only hit nine. They took 32. They took nine enough shots. They took, a, they took a lot of shots, and they missed a lot of open threes. The two teams did not combine to make 15 as Furman went 5-of-24. Not only did Wofford not hit those shots, they also let you down in the final seconds and did not 
down Furman to give ETSU a more clear road to a solo conference championship. Gave up an easy layup to Mike Bothwell. Which, by the way, Coach Forbes said that he is going to be selfish this year, does not want to share the championship at all postgame with you on Saturday. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and break down the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight All right, nobody knew that Fury – well, A, Fury's been kind of a blobby guy. And what Marcus Spears had the tweet of the century for me. He said the last couple of big-time fights have been, you know, kind of blobby bodies versus chisel body, and the blobbies are winning, and he's like, my people are coming up. <laughs> and I love that. Too. As a guy who's a little That's blobby himself, that is, that is unbelievable. I need to channel my inner Marcus Spears. But basically, Tyson Fury's been more of a counterpuncher's whole career. I, you know, Floyd Mayweather's probably the most famous guy at doing that, and Fury's certainly not to that extent because he has a bunch more knockouts. and can be more, He's also 6'9", and weighs a lot more but he had gained like 20 25 pounds more looking blobby or normal and people were questioning sort of his heart because you know he'd been doing the wrestling thing there are people thinking maybe <laughs> that's, that's right. I maybe, maybe that's that. the the next step for him and he wasn't focused in and then the fight started and fury was just running at wilder the whole time and was the aggressor and was going for a knockout for like all seven rounds and it was very unlike tyson fury and i think it threw off not just folks that were calling a game and break down boxing a lot more than i do i, I love boxing but clearly i'm not uh, i'm with you uh, with you know teddy atlas and all these guys that i love to you to might hear. be Stephen a Stephen a is not so, no he's uh, yeah, yeah well he yells and screams a lot like I can, I can get teddy yeah. to yell at me like Stephen a gets somebody to yell at him but i i think that it was an interesting technique because it was unlike anything he had ever done before uh, as far as a fight style and it worked because i don't think wilder was ready for it clearly he got the tko Wilder was mad that his um, assistant trainer threw in the towel as opposed to that. So I did say it would be eight rounds or less. I got that right. I just, just had the wrong I think winner. Had the you wrong couldn't winner. possibly be any dumber. Just I think when I think the right winner you is the most important part of a bowl prediction. It, it probably is, and the people at Sanford were clearly going for Wilder man. because, you know, he's from uh, Tuscaloosa, well, Alabama. So Wilder from Tuscaloosa down to Sanford did not area, Did not do well. That was bad for you. Kind of like that, Alabama yeah, football, bad year ago. That area, unfortunately for me, did not help me either because I said ETSU would beat Sanford by 20 or more points, their largest road win of the year. Obviously, as we talked about in segment number one, that did not happen. Did not seem like the Bulldogs wanted to go quietly. ETSU wins by six. Still a win. Very happy about that. Very happy for Steve Forbes and company. Unfortunately, did not get me my bold prediction right. I said ETSU would have their largest Uh, I suppose, best shooting night of the year on the women's basketball side. They unfortunately did not. 33%. I said it was going to be 50 or higher. They have not broken the 50% barrier this year. They do come from behind and win uh, a 19-2 run in the fourth quarter to come from behind down 13 when 56-54. But no, not quite 50% uh, in the bold predictions book. That goes down as an L, but... For the tramp of the week. I am the smartest man alive! You're a genius. I said that seven or more, seven or more lower-ranked or unranked teams would beat ranked teams on Saturday by itself. And let me go ahead and read you off the results here, Jay Sandoz. I'll just skip all the ones that I lost and go to the ones that I win, as I would do. UCLA on the road at Colorado, 70-63. to Colorado, number 18 in the country. UCLA unranked. Kansas, number three at number one. Baylor, 64-61. to That counts. Lower-ranked team to beat the number one team on the road. Very impressive. Kansas, the Jayhawks, do not let me down. That's two. TCU at home versus number 17, West Virginia. TCU unranked. 67-60, to the win over the Mountaineers. Providence, 84. Number 19, Marquette, 72. That is a 12-point win for your boy on the bowl predictions. Memphis, they're the one that hurts you this week and helps me. 
A one-point sneak-it-out win over number 22, Houston, 60-59. to UNLV, the big, giant, massive surprise of the weekend, 66-63 to over undefeated San Diego State, now previously undefeated San Diego State. A three-point win for the Run Rebels. That made it six, and then it came down to the final game of the night, the final minutes of the contest, and one that was really a lot closer than the final score indicated. It was BYU and Gonzaga, I will admit, and this is kind of makes it a hollow win for me. I was up watching the game, hoping, praying, fingers crossed, everything that you need to be in order to get yourself over the line and come from behind in bold predictions that BYU would be able to get it done. And with eight minutes left, it was 71 to 68. I fell asleep. I was happy to wake up to BYU with a 91 to 78 victory and the seventh market number seven of that Saturday, seven of the 15 games involving ranked teams lower-ranked or unranked teams with the victory. He is the smartest man in the universe. Indeed. Indeed. Are you done? Well, that was 16 correct. That was You're a seven-minute recap to say you got seven games right. That's a pretty impressive bold prediction. Especially considering well, you I flooded, nailed the number. You flooded 25 games to get seven. 15 games. 15, whatever. You, don't whatever. Even, you, don't, you never listen. So that's why you're going to lose bold predictions. 16 right. But I, tuned, right I tuned you out after you started to say. You, you tuned me out. Know. No, you can just leave it at that because you do that literally every minute or every show. I should. Oh, you do. It's incredible. 16, uh, you got 18, so I'm down two, and I've got like two or three bold predictions to catch up. I'm feeling good? So I'm up three? You're up two. 18 minus 16. Yeah, two did there. <laughs> yeah, it's the, jo- the joke's old. You've used it too many times. Now, so. That's all I got. Well done. All right, what do we got uh, Wednesday? We got a little preview. ETSU will be at Wofford. No women's game Thursday. Trying to get a bracketologist to break down the men's chances in that large. Let's talk about We're efforting. All right, Tano Sidekick, back with you on Wednesday. See ya.